My name is Andy, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am excited as we start a new sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and as we get that going, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 1, uh, you can do that, and, and while you're finding your place there, um, I, I have a question for you. <clears throat> have you ever received good news that literally changed your life? So, so good news that literally changed your life, not good news like, Hey, we're having Yeti's pizza for lunch. Yes! That's good news, but that's not necessarily life-changing, um, unless you're the guy that owns Yeti's pizza, and then it could be. But uh, have you ever received, like, literally life-changing good news? I have a number of times, and they've, it's been announced with sauerkraut. So, some fun fact about me. I know this is the land of brats and cheese and beer and hopefully not sauerkraut because I hate sauerkraut. So, um, yep, sorry about that. But I do not, it's just something about it. Uh, rotten cabbage, I can't eat it. But Corinne, Corinne is a wonderful cook and a wonderful wife. And there was this time uh, about four or five years into our marriage, I came home and there was sauerkraut cooking in the kitchen. And I thought, oh, as soon as I like pulled into the driveway, I could just smell this. Oh, and so I had no idea what was going on. And and by that time, we'd been married long enough that you don't have to pretend to like everything your wife cooks, you know. And so she was making sauerkraut, and it turns out she didn't even realize that. I don't think at the time. It turns out she was pregnant with Asher, early pregnancy, or you know those cravings, those weird cravings that you get in the early pregnancy. And so. She just had this weird craving for sauerkraut, first time she'd ever cooked it. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to receive that good news that we're going to have a baby. But please don't make sauerkraut ever again. Well, there have been four times in our marriage when she's cooked sauerkraut, and we have four boys. <laughs> and uh, it's just kind of her way of announcing it. And, and then this summer, right before we were getting ready to move, I came home and my house was filled with the smell of sauerkraut and it was cooking. And I said, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, and she said, no, no, I'm not pregnant. Um, we were getting ready to move and we have old cans of sauerkraut in the pantry and I don't want to move them. So we're going to eat it. Uh, so yeah, life changing good news, right? Good news, but it, it, your life is never the same after you hear that news. What do you think about when you hear that kind of news, that kind of announcement? What, what is your initial reaction? What is your, what is your path forward? What do you do? What, what would you do if somebody brought you life-changing good news, but you had to decide what to do with that news? You know, you've won a million dollars, and if you want to take that million dollars, you need to do this, whatever this is. How would you make that decision? What, what would that, how would that change your life? Uh, it, I guess for me, the million dollars, it depends on is it taxable or not. Because after the government takes their share, it's more like $25. But, um, right, life-changing good news. There's a scene, and I'm, and so there's a scene from a movie called The Matrix. Um, and I'm, an, I'm a huge nerd, okay? So I loved The Matrix movies when I was a kid. And just as a disclaimer, they are rated PG-13. I'm not necessarily saying they're great for your little kids to watch. I was college age when I was watching these movies, so uh, just take that with a grain of salt. But um, 
There's a lot of stuff in the Matrix. It's all kind of weird, and it's sci-fi, and you know, and I'm a I'm a geek, and so I like that stuff. But there's a scene at the beginning of the first Matrix movie where this guy named Morpheus comes to to a, a young man named Neo, uh, played by Keanu Reeves, and he basically gives him a choice, and he says. The life that you have been living is not real. It's not true. But I have truth. And you can decide today what to do with that truth. And and here's the quote that Morpheus tells Neo. He holds out two pills, a red pill and a blue pill. And he says, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill... You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. So the the choice that Morpheus gives to Neo is, you have been searching for reality, searching for truth. I have that truth about what is real in life. If you want to pursue it, it's going to change your life forever. Your life will never be the same. So you have to make this decision. Do you want to pursue that truth and and live an entirely different life? Everything you thought about life has changed. Or do you want to stay safe? Do you want to stay comfortable? Do you want to stay locked away in a fictional world, a fantasy? Which choice are you going to make? And of course, in the movie, Neo chooses the red pill and and everything. That's, That's the whole movie, right? But I think what the Bible has to say to us this morning is no less significant, no less profound, than what Morpheus gave to Neil. In fact, I would say the Bible, the, 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 the challenge that the Bible gives to us today is greater because it's real. It's not in a fantasy movie. It's actually real life. Mark, in his gospel, in the first 15 verses, presents us with a choice. I, I have truth here. I have news here i have something to tell you and you have to decide what to do with it it will change your life forever whatever you decide one way or the other there's no turning back you can't change it i'm presenting you with this truth with this news what are you going to do with it how will you respond to it whether you choose to believe it or reject it your life will never be the same again That's exactly what Mark does in the first 15 verses, and really all throughout his gospel. Mark's primary purpose in writing this gospel is to show us who Jesus is and how different people respond differently to Jesus. Some people accept him and give their lives to him and surrender to him, and some people reject him. Some love him, some hate him. Some want to follow him, some want to kill him. Everybody responds differently to Jesus throughout Mark's gospel. And it's as you're reading through the gospel, I I want you to pay attention to how different people respond differently to Jesus. Because that is a major theme in the gospel of Mark. And by implication, as we're reading that, what Mark is challenging us us with is, here's how these people responded to Jesus. How are you going to respond? Here's what these people decided to do. What are you going to decide to to do? How will you respond to Jesus? In the Gospel of Mark, uh, many scholars believe that Mark's Gospel was the very first Gospel written. 
It's the second one, book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But many scholars believe it was the first of the four Gospels to be written down. It was probably written or possibly written earliest dating sometime about 20 to 25 years after the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So we're not talking about a book that was written three, four, five, six hundred years later. We're talking about a book that was written when most of the people who knew Jesus were still alive, including Mark. Uh, Most scholars believe, or sort of the traditional uh, understanding of Mark, is that it was written by uh, John Mark, who was not one of the twelve apostles, but his mom was a, a faithful disciple of Christ, Uh, John Mark was probably uh, about 10 to 12 years old during the events that happened uh, with Jesus. And he was tagging along with his mom for a lot of what happened with Jesus. So he knew Jesus. He he would have seen a lot of these events firsthand. As he became older, uh, he went into missionary work. Uh, His cousin was Barnabas. You've probably heard of Barnabas if you've read through the book of Acts at all. Uh, He was a friend and a missionary with the Apostle Paul. And he was a very close friend uh, and mentored by the Apostle Peter. And so Mark had a lot of uh, good influences around him. He was an eyewitness of Jesus. And he was a good person to write the first gospel that we have. And Mark begins his gospel with these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the beginning of the good news. This this is the introduction to his book. And as we read through these first 15 verses in Mark chapter 1, I think Mark shows us this. What is this news? Why is it good? And what do we do with it? This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Well, what is this news about Jesus? What makes it good? And how should we respond to to this good news, this life-changing good news. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I'll put the words, uh, the, the text of Scripture up on the screen as well. But let's just read through these first 15 verses of Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 1, starting with verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. John wasn't a Southern Baptist or an American Baptist or a General Association of Regular Baptists. He wasn't an independent fundamental Baptist. Uh, He wasn't any of those kinds of Baptists. He was a baptizer but we call him John the Baptist. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, this is just like a a sidestep real quick. Why in the world do we need to know how John dressed and what he ate? Doesn't that seem like just sort of random, odd details to include in a story? Anytime you see random, odd details in a biblical story that don't really seem to fit in with the rest of the text, there's probably something interesting 
going on in there. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit prompted Mark to include those details about John. And they seem really weird to us. And they probably seemed really weird to the people who were reading this originally too. And they would have said, what? Why does that matter? So I'm, I'm not going to give you the answer to that this morning. I want you to talk about it in your life groups. And I've given you some hints in your life group questions about how to find that answer. But I'll give you one little hint this morning. It has something to do with John being um, in step with the Old Testament prophets. So telling us where John lived and where he did his ministry in the wilderness and, and how he dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and, and that he ate locusts, grasshoppers dipped in honey. Yum. Um, all those sort of weird details, there's a reason for it. There's a little bit of truth in there. Dig around in your scripture and, and find it. Verse 7, this was his message. This was John's message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Somebody is coming after me who is so great, who is so far above me, that I'm not even worthy to do the most subservient, menial task for him. I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. That's how great and awesome that he is. Verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's ministry was all about calling the nation of Israel to repent, to be baptized as a sign of them saying, I am ready to receive God's message. John comes along and he's saying, repent, the king is coming. Repent, the Messiah is coming. Repent, the king is on his way. Do you want to meet the king? Then turn around and, and, and focus your eyes on Jesus, or on God, and, and see what God is saying and, and hear what God is about to do. Repent, you have to repent and get ready to meet the king. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. Right, right there we ought to be saying, what in the world is up with this guy? How many of us have heard God's voice audibly speak to us and say, you're my son, with you I'm well pleased? How many of us have seen a, vis a visible manifestation of the Holy Spirit over us. How many of, of us have been sent into the wilderness to do battle with God's greatest enemy? Right? Something is, is a little bit different, a little bit unique about Jesus, and we should be asking, who is this guy? Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
John the Baptist was put in prison because the religious leaders and the political leaders of his day did not like his message. Especially when he started calling out King Herod for sin. King Herod didn't like his sin being called on it, and he didn't like being called to repent. So he was the king. He had John arrested and put in prison. And after that happened, Jesus came uh, into Galilee and he proclaimed the good news or the gospel. Gospel is just a fancy Christian word for good news. He proclaimed the gospel of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And we're going to dig into this passage just a little bit. But as we do that, I want to say this. I think the big idea, the main point of what Mark is trying to say, not just with these 15 verses, but in his whole gospel, the main idea is this. Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. We should repent and believe this good news. This is the underlying theme that runs through the entire gospel of Mark. Every scene, he shows us what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. Every scene, he shows us a different angle, a different perspective, a different take on what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. Every scene, he shows us what life in the kingdom of God is like. And every scene calls us to make a decision about what we believe about Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. We should repent and believe this good news. So at the beginning, I asked three questions. What is the good news? Why is it good? And what do we do with it? One of them has already been answered with Mark's big idea. The good news is that Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. Jesus is the Messiah who brings the rule and the reign of God into our lives. This is the news. To us, 2,000 years after Jesus, it's not news. It's just information. But to them, it was news. It was something new that they hadn't heard before. And it was amazing. And what John was saying is, you know, all the time that we've been waiting for God to do something in the world, all the time that we've been waiting for God's promised Messiah, here's the news. Jesus is him. It's Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the promised one. Jesus is the son of God and the king and the Messiah. Jesus brings the kingdom of God here. Mark shows us in the first 15 verses at least three different evidences that Jesus is the Son of God. At least three different evidence. Exhibit A is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God spoke through prophets that recorded their words in the Scriptures in the Old Testament. And He said He would send a messenger ahead of the Messiah to prepare the way for the Lord. That was prophesied. Now, what happened? John the Baptist came hundreds of years after those prophecies, and he prepared the way for Christ exactly as the Old Testament predicted. It was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And and did you know that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah? And Jesus fulfills every single one of them perfectly. Over 300 prophecies. Mark picks one to start his gospel with there are over 300 other ones that jesus fulfills perfectly and what he's saying is this 
You know how you can tell that Jesus is the Son of God? Because he is every fulfillment that the Old Testament has been longing for. He is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament has pointed to. It's Jesus. That's one evidence for how Jesus is the Son of God. Exhibit B, another, a second um, uh, element of evidence. Uh, John's ministry is not only the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, but it also reveals who the Son of God is. When Jesus was baptized by John, God the Father audibly spoke, and God the Holy Spirit visibly appeared to testify that Jesus is God the Son. So you have the Old Testament writings. You also have God personally testifying that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not just something that was scribbled about in an old book, but it's something that is seen and witnessed visibly and audibly. A third piece of evidence that Jesus is the Son of God. After his baptism, Jesus goes out into the wilderness to face off against God's greatest enemy, Satan. And all through Mark's gospel, we see Jesus doing things that only God can do. We see Jesus doing things that no one else can do. He's very unique. And and I love this quote that I found um, by Clinton Arnold in one of the commentaries I read this week. He says this, Jesus battles Satan, calls disciples with the power of God, casts out demons, heals fever, cures leprosy, forgives sins controls the sea, raises the dead, walks on the waves, and miraculously feeds thousands. And his death unleashes apocalyptic events. His coming signifies not the advent of some earthly messianic rule, but the advent of the reign of God that will subjugate principalities and powers, things present and things to come, things above the earth and things beneath the earth, and even death. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. God himself bears witness, and Jesus does things that only God can do. That's the news that Mark shares. Why is it good? Why do we call it good news? Why do Christians use the word gospel, which just means good news? So what that Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God? Great. What makes that news good? I think there are two things that make it good. One is what Jesus brings to us, the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God in our lives. Do you realize that this world is a broken place? That this world is messed up. People hate each other. People hurt each other. In this, the kingdom of this world, the majority of marriages end in divorce. Families are fractured and splattered and, and broken. Uh, in, in this world, people hurt kids. People go into schools and shoot guns and kill people. In this world, people get sick and die. People grow old and die. This is a, a, a world filled with darkness. This is a world filled with sin and violence and hatred and anger. This is a world drowning in its own depravity, and it doesn't even realize how to get out. It's a world that has no hope. When was the last time you read a story in the news about how you could cheat death? When was the last time you read a story in the news about how everything in the world is going to be great? It's not going to be great. We've tried it over and over and over again, and this world is broken and it's messed up. That's the kingdom of this world, and that's the kingdom that all of us are born into. But the good news is that Jesus brings a new kingdom. 
He brings the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus comes into Mark's gospel and he holds up a picture of the kingdom of God and he holds it right in front of our faces so that we can see what life is like in the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus did is a reflection of God's kingdom. His life paints a picture of what life is supposed to be. Jesus says, I'm going to heal the sick because in God's kingdom, people don't get sick. I'm going to raise the dead because in God's kingdom, people don't die. I'm going to love the unlovely and touch the untouchable and reach out and include the moral and social outcasts because in God's kingdom, we love each other. This is what God is bringing through Christ to us. That's why it's good news. This is a better life. This is the life that God calls us to live. It's good because it's life in the kingdom as life is supposed to be. Without fear, without addiction, without abuse, without broken marriages and unfaithfulness, where families are healed and brokenness is restored. That's life in the kingdom. And Jesus says, the time has come at the beginning of verse 15. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. We don't have to live on the outside of that kingdom any longer. We don't have to be without hope any longer. We don't have to wonder, how is my life going to be fixed? How are my kids going to be fixed? How is my marriage going to be fixed? How is this going to work out? We don't have to figure that out any longer in the kingdom of this world because we can step into the kingdom of God and God's love can be our love and God's healing can be our healing and God's mercy can be given to us and God's forgiveness can be given to us and God's righteousness can be our righteousness and we can live a new life in the kingdom. The time has come now is the time to make a decision about what you will do with your life. Will you continue to live in the kingdom of brokenness, in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of death? Or will you live in the kingdom of healing, in the kingdom of life, in the kingdom of joy and peace? Will you live in a kingdom where even though you die, you will be raised to life just like Jesus was? and that you will never die forever? Is that the choice that you're going to make? Or will you say, I, I don't know about Jesus, I don't know about him, I'm, I'm just going to stay in this dark and hopeless and broken world. This is what Mark gives to us this morning, and this is the message of Jesus. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Good news, good news. You don't have to live like that anymore. You can be who I created you to be. You can live a new life in the kingdom and you can start it today. That's the news. That's why it's good. Third question, what do we do with it? What's, what's the decision going to be? Jesus answers that question. Here's what we do. He says, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. There are two very important words in that sentence. Repent and believe. And, and here's what I First of all, repent. Repentance is not just saying you're sorry. 
right? And in our society, in our culture, it's really popular, it's really common when uh, an athlete or a celebrity makes a boo-boo or a mistake or a politician, then they go on the news or they go on Oprah or they go on whatever, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry for that. I just, uh, I, I'll never do it again. I'm really sorry. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, don't cry. And then everybody goes on and they don't change anything about their life and they live the same way that they always have, right? And, that's, and we say, oh, look, he repented. That's not what repentance is. It's not saying you're sorry. The word repent in the Bible literally means to change your mind. Or, or if you want to put a visual picture to it, it means to turn around. That's what it means. It doesn't mean say you're sorry. It means change your mind, turn around. That's what repent. When Jesus comes preaching the gospel and saying the kingdom of, of God is here, he's, he doesn't say, say you're sorry. The kingdom of God is here. Say you're sorry. That's not what he does. He says, the kingdom of God is here. Turn around and live in the kingdom. Turn away from the world. Turn away from the ideas and the philosophies and the, and, and the values. I don't think the way the world thinks anymore. I don't value what the world values anymore. I don't want what the world wants anymore. Turn around from that and live life in the kingdom. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And, and repentance is necessary to receive what God has. You cannot receive what God has for you if you don't have a heart that is turned around. You have to. That's what John the Baptist ministry was all about. It's necessary if, if you want to come to God, you have to repent. You can't see what God's doing if your back is turned to God. You can't hear what God's saying if you're listening to the world. Right? When Corinne and I were first married, um, we were long distance. So I had a couple of classes to finish up, a semester of classes to finish up, and she had gotten a full-time teaching job in southern Missouri. And so I was in northern Missouri finishing up a semester of class. She was in southern Missouri um, putting bread on the table. And we were long distance, newlyweds, right? That was terrible. And we talked on the phone every night. And I hate talking on the phone. So Corinne doesn't know this. But when we talked on the phone, I would play solitaire on the computer. And she never knew. Right. She could tell every time I wasn't paying attention to her on the phone, right? You've probably been married for any length of time. You know, yes, honey, yes, honey, yes, honey, what? Right? It's that same type of deal. Right? If, if, you want, if I want to listen to what Corinne's telling me, I need to put solitaire away and listen to what Corinne's telling me. It's the same thing with God. If you want to hear what God's saying, stop listening to the world and start listening to God. Turn your back to the world and turn your eyes on Jesus and you will see what God is saying to you. To repent means turning around, changing your mind. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And, and the second thing that he calls us to do is to believe. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the word believe in our society has lost its meaning. Because when we say believe, we say things like, do you believe in Santa Claus? Oh, sure, I believe in Santa Claus. Whatever, you know, or I don't, I don't do that. Whatever it is, believe doesn't really mean anything. In our culture, it means to acknowledge something is true. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do when he says believe. In the Bible, when you read the word believe, it doesn't mean to just acknowledge that something is true. It's, it means to accept it as true for you. 
which is a totally different thing. It, it, it doesn't mean to just think that it's real, but it means to accept it as your reality. See, to believe is to put your trust in something, to put your faith in it, to put your hope in it, to build your life on it. It is living under the rule and the reign of God. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is king. It's saying, Jesus is my king. It's not just acknowledging that Jesus is God. It's saying, Jesus is my God. And that's different than what so many of us think about the word belief. This is my story. I grew up in a Christian home. And I acknowledged the truth of the Bible my whole life. I never remember a time in my life when I didn't acknowledge the truth of Scripture. When I didn't think that Jesus really was God. That God's word really was true. I knew that it was true. I thought it was true. I acknowledged that it was true. But I didn't accept it as my truth until I was 19, my sophomore year of college. That's when I accepted it as my truth, my reality. It's not something that I did just because my parents took me to church when I was a kid, and so I was going to keep playing the church game. I wasn't a Christian because my family was a Christian. I, wasn't, I decided I need to, to, to make this my reality, and I need to build my life on this message. And there's so much difference between simply acknowledging that something is true and accepting it as true for you. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. That's what Mark's gospel challenges us with. You have two choices this morning. I've given you this news. Jesus is the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God near. What are you going to choose? You can accept it as your truth and your reality and your life will change forever. It's not always going to be easy, but you'll be pursuing truth and reality and purpose and meaning. Or you can reject it and continue to go on living a lie, believing what the world says, following the world's path, and getting the world's results. But you have to make a decision. Mark doesn't let us off the hook. You have to choose whether it's going to be your truth or whether it's just going to be another idea that is popular among some in our society. In a sense, we have to answer the question, who is this man? Jesus never wrote a book, but more books have been written about him than anyone else in the world. As far as we know, Jesus never wrote a song but more songs have been written about him than any other person in human history. Jesus never traveled more than 200 miles from his hometown, but he left his footprint on literally the entire earth. Who is this man? Who is this man who has changed the entire course of human history? Who is this man whose story has inspired literally billions of people over thousands of years? to follow him with their lives. Who is he? That's the question that we have to answer. And your answer to that question will change your life literally forever. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to move to a time of communion in just a moment. 
As we prepare to receive that and worship in that way, I want to ask, what if the stories are true? What if Jesus really is who the Bible says he is? What if Jesus really is the Son of God? What if he really does offer us a new life in the kingdom of God, a life that we can step into today? What if that's true? What are you going to do with that information? Will you repent and believe the gospel? I, I wonder if everyone could just bow their head, close your eyes. I don't want anybody looking around. Uh, I'm not super comfortable doing this type of invitation, but I feel like the Holy Spirit just would not let me go on this this week. So I have to be obedient to him. Given the nature of what Mark's gospel challenges us with, we have to make a decision. We have to decide what we're going to do about Jesus and what we're going to do about this news that Mark has dropped in our laps. So what I would ask this morning, and nobody's looking around, if you're here and you have not made that decision to own the faith for yourself, Maybe you've acknowledged that it's true, or maybe you've never acknowledged that it's true. But you want this morning to accept it as your truth. Not to just think that Jesus is real, but to make Jesus your reality. If you want to make that decision to enter into the kingdom of God, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is give your life to Christ. To repent, to turn around, to change your mind from the way that you used to live. To turn around and to focus your eyes on Jesus and to follow him with every step. It won't be easy. You'll mess up. There will be unexpected things that happen to you. At, at times it's going to hurt. Things in your life will change. Some of them will change for the good. Some of them will hurt as they change. But ultimately, it will be for your good. You'll still experience struggle and hardship in this world. You'll still suffer. But Jesus will be there with you. The Holy Spirit will give you that peace that sustains you. And somehow, even in the midst of the greatest moments of despair, God will give you joy and unconditional love. And he'll teach you how to love others that way and how to serve others that way and how to be a light. If that's the decision that you want to make and you say, I, I haven't made that decision before. Maybe I've played the church game my whole life. Maybe I've acknowledged the truth of it, but I've never really accepted it as my truth. But I want to do that this morning. Would you just, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand that you want to make that decision today? That you want to accept that? Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that you have spoken to us through your spirit. Some in this room want to make a decision to accept you as their king and their God. Not just as a king and a God. I pray that you would move. And Lord, for 
that you would just convict us of where we have sinned. We would understand how we have run our own path and walked away from you and been our own king and our own God, but you would show us how we can surrender those parts of our lives to you, that we can live under the rule and the reign of God, that you would be our king, that your wish would be our command, and that we would experience the fullness of life that you offer to those who live in your kingdom. Lord, I thank you that belonging to your family and being adopted as your child is nothing that we have to do or earn or be. It's simply something that you offer to us. We have to simply accept it and receive it as our reality and our truth and our hope. So God, we pray that cry out to you to save us. We have no other hope but you. You are the foundation, the anchor of our soul. And we thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place for our sin. That even though you never sinned, you forgave us and you took our sin on you and you paid the price that we all owe. And then you were raised to life on the first Easter Sunday. We believe that. We make it our reality. And we want to live in light of that, whether this is the first time we've ever decided to make that choice or whether we've been walking with you for a long time. We thank you for your grace and we thank you for your life in us. In Jesus' name, amen.